0: Welcome to the Highland Southern Baptist Podcast. Each week, Keith Perrin will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message. If you have a Bible, you can read along with us. Our mission is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ from Hillsborough, Missouri to the rest of the world. Now, here's Pastor Keith. With Timothy, and at this particular time, the biggest thing that the churches were facing, which is in context, and then I'm going to kind of pull it, not out of context, but apply it to a more modern-day um, situation like we live in uh, the struggle they faced was individuals going into churches and trying to teach the law now i've said many times before even in southern baptist circles we tend to confuse this a lot uh, when people on the outside look in and see us they see us as a group of people who operate by a list of rules um god forbid if we're really those people uh, we don't operate based on a a, gift, a a list of rules. Or even people say, well, you need to follow the Ten Commandments. If you're a Christian, you will follow the Ten Commandments. Not because you have a list to follow, but because we know that that is what's pleasing to the Lord. And when we live lives that are motivated by being pleasing to the Lord, then we desire to know what God wants us to know and then to implement those things in our lives. So Timothy's being sent. And remember, <clears throat> the time that First Timothy was was written, Timothy was definitely um, under the age of 20. Most historians and theologians place him at the time that First Timothy was written at about 16 years old. How many, of you, how many of you guys could imagine being 16 years old, being sent into an established church to tell everybody what they're doing wrong? I mean, I struggled with this early on. I've been in ministry for a long time as a youth pastor at 18. Uh, there's very little respect that's given to you at 18 years old. Uh, people basically treated you um, like a kid. I couldn't imagine what it would have been like for Timothy to be 16 years old and be instructed to go into these churches. Um, and here, he's instructed in this first part to go into Ephesus. Uh, church in Ephesus was a very established church. Um, and as a very established church, his responsibility was to go in and, and pretty much point out to people who were uh, teaching things that were wrong And then the reason we're going to get into 2 Timothy is because the instruction actually gets a little bit harder. But we have to show some context because it's not not good for us to be individuals who are preachers and teachers just walk around and be mean to everybody in the things that we believe. Uh, For instance, homosexuality is a sin just as much as gluttony is. They have to be mentioned. Otherwise, salvation can't be found by somebody if we don't speak on what sin is. But under no circumstances does that justify hatred of a homosexual. We're supposed to love the homosexual. If we break down, if we burn bridges to the lost, then what good can we really do? So there is teaching the truth that is absolute, but teaching the truth in love, we can never lose that motivation. Motivation, intent, is everything. Everything when it comes to individuals being teachers but back to this i couldn't imagine being 16 years old being sent into a church to speak to people who are much older than you are much more established than you are even though he went on the word of the apostle paul and he carried the authority of god to most people he was still a kid it would be terrifying um i couldn't imagine as a 16 year old i mean. How many of you at the age that you are right now would be comfortable being sent to a church to tell people what they're doing is wrong? I mean, m- most all of us. I mean, I, as much as I have preached, as much as I have held people accountable, as much as I've been into those confrontational situations, it would make me uneasy after 30 years of ministry to go into a, a church to where I really didn't have any type of, they didn't know me, and then just start telling people what it is that they're doing wrong. But Paul sent Timothy nonetheless, and that was Timothy's responsibility. So to give us a little bit of a background to the point of the theme of the message, we're going to take a look at First Timothy chapter 1 before we move to 2 Timothy chapter 4. So it says in uh, in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace Mercy and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus in order that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation, rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men, straying from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussions, wanting to be teachers of the law even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous man, but for those who are lawless and rebellious for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane for those who kill their fathers or mothers for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. Now, a while ago, you may have looked at me or thought, that was kind of strange for me to say we're Southern Baptists and we don't live by the Ten Commandments. What did he just say? Who's the Ten Commandment for? This may come as a shocker to some of you. The Ten Commandments wasn't given to us to follow. The Ten Commandments was given to us to show us our need for Jesus. The Ten Commandments don't make us righteous. They prove that we're unrighteous. You see what I'm saying? Anybody in here ever bear false witness? Well, if you don't raise your hands, you're bearing false witness. Every one of us have told a lie. Every one of us at some point in our life have told a lie. Am I right? If we went down the Ten Commandments in our entire lifetime, how many have we broken? And here's the question. Can you undo that? You can't undo that. So, I mean, if, if, and, and I hope this isn't a heavy load on you because it might come as a shocker. If you have broken the Ten Commandments, is it even possible for you to follow the Ten Commandments? talked to little kids today we talked about we talked about how to remember the things that your teacher teaches you I couldn't find their Bible study book, so we just had our own little Bible study so parents if your kids after church say the preacher taught us out of Revelation chapter three verse three that's what they were learning I wasn't teaching them about the second coming of Christ and things like that but then In teaching them how to remember things, they learned about decisions and consequences. You make bad choices, you suffer the consequences. Every one of us, we failed at the Ten Commandments already. The consequences were put in place at that failure. If the Ten Commandments were there for us to follow, you've already failed. Just as I have and everybody else on the planet has, because how many people on earth as human beings are righteous? None. No, not one. We're all in the same tank, folks. We're sinners. And if we trust in Jesus Christ, we're sinners saved by grace, which is the only way to recover the hit that we take by being people who didn't follow the Ten Commandments. It's just a fact. And Paul points out specifically here that the motivation behind the entire reason that Paul is sending Timothy into the lion's den To correct individuals and what it is that they're teaching, which in this case was the law, basically follow the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments will make you righteous. Timothy was going in to refute that. But he pointed out very clearly here that the motivation behind it is love. If we preach, it better be because we love. If we teach, it better be because we love. When we feel conviction from the Holy Spirit, when we study the Bible, when we do anything that we do for the Lord, it had better be driven by love. These three, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is what? Love. Love is the driving force behind everything that we as a church and everything that we as Christians should be doing. Now, I'm going to say this. If we love people enough, we will set aside our fears. Do you hear me? If we love people enough, we will set aside our fears. If God calls a person to preach and the person is unfaithful and doesn't do it, does it help people or hurt people? It hurts people. Do we love people by hurting them? No. No matter what gift we as individuals may be given, if the one motivating factor in that gift is love, no matter how uncomfortable it may be, if we realize the impact of the gift that God has given us on other people, and that impact is being expressed through love to individuals, we will set aside our fears. Like I said, Timothy, 16 years old, do you think he was comfortable there's evidence throughout First and Second Timothy that Timothy was not comfortable. There were times that Paul wrote to Timothy and you could tell that Timothy was, was being tempted to just go and hide because all of his friends were being arrested and, prison, and imprisoned and beaten. They were suffering the consequences of being people who taught the things of God. Of course he was afraid. That's why Paul gave him the instructions that he was given him. Did Timothy go? He was in Ephesus already. Paul said, Stay. Did he stay? Timothy's love for the people in Ephesus gave him the encouragement to set aside his fear. One of the biggest handicaps that the church suffers today is people not following through with God's call on their life because they're afraid. They're afraid to evangelize for those who are given the gift of evangelism. For those who are given the, the gift to teach, they're afraid to teach. For those who are given the gift of nurturing, they're afraid to nurture. Those given the gift of giving, afraid to give. Because we're always concerned about what the consequences are going to be to us for being individuals who are faithful. We live in a world now, folks, where it's going to get harder and harder and harder to be people who live out our gifts. Have you seen the news? Cancel culture all over the place. If you say something about Jesus and you're a Christian, you will never work in Hollywood again. Um, trying to remember his name, and I had it before the sermon started. The guy who actually played Hercules in the old Hercules series... No, this is, this was later, a little later than that. Um, he was also in the God's Not Dead movies, the first one. Steve, I can't remember. Anyway, this guy, he was, uh, he played Hercules. I mean, in the Hercules series from, I think it was probably around the 70s or 80s. Um, he was, he was a pretty desired actor. And then they found out he was a Christian. They told him he'd never work again. Well, he didn't in other Hollywood movies. But, of course, when God's Not Dead came out, the people who were producing that movie said, absolutely, we'll hire this guy to be an actor in the movie. The Mandalorian, anybody watching The Mandalorian? This lady that, um, her first name's Gina, she played one of the lead roles, the leading lady roles, Um in the Mandalorian Disney Plus and she put something conservative it wasn't christian it was conservative on her Facebook page Disney Plus fired her you can't speak morals nowadays you can't speak from an ethical position you can't speak from from uh, any type of a christian perspective a very clear right and wrong You can't talk about those things in public anymore without consequences. Alan? Kevin Sorbo, Sorbo, that's him. Yep, that was him. But the the call of God on an individual's life to employ a gift is terrifying. First sermon I ever preached. I'd already been... I knew I'd been called by the, by the Lord, had never stood in front of people. It was my home church, people that I grew up around, which I'm not sure whether that made it harder or easier. <laughs> um, had 14 pages of notes, 14 pages, front and back, 14 pieces of paper, front and back, 28 total pages of information to preach my first sermon. I thought, man, I'm going to fill this time up. I'm going to have a message that I've prepared that I'm going to read off and it's going to take me the entire time, and it's just going to be awesome. Of course, I was terrified inside. Anybody want to guess how long my sermon was? Ten minutes. It's a ten-minute sermon. And as if I wasn't thinking enough about the sermon itself, I'm, I'm, I'm terrified at that point about, man, I've just gone through 28 pages of material, and it's been ten minutes. Then you start worrying about them asking you to come back next week because you don't preach as long as a regular preacher does. <laughs> It's just terrifying. It's terrifying to, to counsel people, people who are suicidal. What are the consequences to not counseling somebody correctly who's suicidal? We're talking serious consequences. What about marriages? Serious consequences. Could mean the making or breaking of a, of a marriage. Family counseling. Serious consequences. Not holding someone accountable. They're a part of your church. Serious consequences. What about holding somebody accountable? If it doesn't go right, serious consequences. When I first started, pastoring scared the life out of me. Preaching scared the life out of me. But God wouldn't let me go He wouldn't let me say no. And anybody who has a gift in this room right now that has not employed it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The scratching that goes on inside your soul. The Lord trying to yank you out of the way to try to get you in the game. And the one thing that always stops us from sharing the gospel on the street, the one thing that always stops us from following through with whatever gift that God may have given us, the one thing that it always boils down to is fear. It's fear. People come to me and they say, well, what if I teach the wrong thing? Then I'm like, then you teach the wrong thing, and you learn a lesson, and then you correct it. You do all you can to not teach the wrong thing. Make sure that you're prepared well before you start the class. About eight years into pastoring or preaching, I figured out that I know a lot of this. Not that I don't have still a whole lot to learn. As long as I live, I'll continue to learn. 25% of my time in preparing a message is actually on preparing the message. 75% of my time is searching the Bible, trying to refute it. It's the best best way to make sure you're not teaching the wrong thing, right? Because it's important for us not to teach the wrong thing. But I got news for you, and if this is a blow. To you, I, I apologize that I put it on you like this. You're not perfect. God doesn't expect you to be perfect. He doesn't expect our gifts to be employed perfectly. He expects us to be people who are learning lessons in life. People who learn lessons through our experiences. I can promise you that regardless of where you're at in the employment of your gift, God is going to continue to provide us opportunities to get better at it. Fear is not the thing that should keep us from doing what it is that God calls us to do. As uncomfortable as it had to be for Timothy, he followed through. So the motivation's there. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 1 says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Before we go any further. You know, we as human beings are in a pretty blessed spot. Because even though I can tell you that, that uh, regardless of your shortcomings, if you've trusted in Jesus, that you're going to get to go to heaven. If you really have a relationship with Jesus, regardless of your shortcomings, Because how many of us are going to show up in heaven the instant before we were perfect? None of us are. Our perfection is imputed to us. Christ on Calvary, his perfection imputed to us. That's the only way we get to stand face-to-face with the creator of the universe and not die instantly an eternal death. Christ is the only reason. Folks, the fact is this. Timothy wasn't given a choice. What do you think Paul meant by, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus? Did it sound like Timothy has a choice? The solemn charge. How many of you guys have ever worked in a job where you were told to do something? It wasn't necessarily wrong, but you didn't want to do it. I know I'm not alone. Do you get to say no? I mean, when we're looking at this in the the correct context, who is God to us? He is Lord, right? What does the word Lord mean? Boss. How many Christians are running around this planet right now telling their boss no? But in real life, our physical human bosses? How many of us get away with that? How often do you get to walk up to your boss and him tell you to do something you go, no? What was that, Alan? Betty's your boss? How many times you tell her no? <laughs> so he didn't, have, he didn't have a choice here. And, and we shouldn't be individuals who look at it as having a choice either. I've always been a big promoter of this and I can prove, I can, I can prove this theologically. Before we come to know Jesus Christ, we have free will. Now, even though in reality, you still have the right to make a choice. Once we come to know Jesus Christ, there shouldn't be one. Before we know Christ, it's our choice. It's free will. When we come to know Jesus Christ, it should be his will. His will doesn't waver. His will doesn't change. So when God when God tells us to do something, not only is it just not intelligent to say no, but we also have to look at what the consequences to that is. You're a teacher and you say no. What does that mean? That means that God has some people in store, but he wants to learn. And the people that he wants to learn what he wants them to learn will never learn because the person he called to teach never stepped up. So what are the consequences? They're severe. The reason that I did the whole remembering thing this morning in class, I didn't have the Bible study material in front of me. So I asked him, I said, hey, what'd you guys learn last week? You know what everyone told me? I don't remember. And I told him, don't feel too bad about that. Because if I was to stand with every church member who is a church member who watches the sermon on Facebook or sits inside this church, and I said, what did I preach on last week? How many do you think could tell me? We as human beings... We're fallible. We fail. We have shortcomings. But the fact is, folks, if we aren't being obedient in God's word, we may be hearing what's being said, but we certainly are not doing it. It is... It is so important when you sit down and look. Which is why Paul wasn't being mean. Paul knew the consequences of Timothy not doing what it is that he's about to tell him to do. Verse 2 says, this is what the charge, the solemn charge is for. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Preach the word. I've said this several times before, but who are preachers? Is it just me? Because the term preacher, believe it or not, is an adjective adverb. To preach means to herald a God-given message, to herald it. To speak it. To speak it with authority and to speak it loudly. If You stand in your household and you're talking to a group of children and you're telling them why biblically it's not okay to tell a lie. Guess what you're doing? You're preaching. You're preaching, you're teaching. Be ready in season and out of season. Be ready for what? Be ready to preach. In season and out of season. How many of you guys have ever gotten phone calls in the most awkward situations? watching your favorite TV show I remember back when I started in ministry we couldn't pause the TV seems odd to me now to think about the fact that you can actually pause live TV we couldn't pause the TV that was back when the remote control was my dad sitting in his easy chair and saying boy go change the channel (laughs) she had to physically turn the knob on the TV 2 o'clock in the morning. Just when you're getting ready to start dinner. When you're in the bathroom. In season and out of season. Doesn't even say, doesn't just say in season and out of season. It says be ready. How many of you guys Wake up in the morning, start your day, and say, I'm looking for my opportunity to preach today. Very few people say it. And how many opportunities are there in the world we live in today to preach? They are literally everywhere. I figured out that all the arguments on Facebook that I've flipped around over the years Shouldn't engage people on Facebook. Then I realized that it was actually part of the cult, the uh, cancel culture that started putting that out. Because if you have a position, but it's a doctrinal position, guess what the world just wants you to do? Just wants you to shut your mouth. They don't want to hear it. But hey, it's going to cause a fight. So we justify ourselves out of. Being preachers of the word? Instant, in season, and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. You know what the word reprove actually means in the Greek? Argue. Now, it's not talking about argue like in a spat with somebody back and forth, calling each other names, the one who hurts the other the most wins. But in the sense that a lawyer would argue the evidence in a court. Argue. To give an opposing position or an opposing opinion. Why am I supposed to start stop posting on Facebook? Because it's going to create an argument. Praise God. As long as we do it according to God's rules, we're supposed to be people who do it. Rebuke. There have been some scenarios in 30 years of ministry that, to be honest with you, I would have just as soon avoided as to have had to have lived through. Two people cheating on each other in church, cheating on their spouses so much easier just to turn a blind eye, pretend it ain't happening. But once you do that, what do you become known as as a church? A church that will just let people continue to have adulterous affairs inside the church and never suffer any consequences for it. So in that opportunity, you sit the two people down, you tell them in love, what you're doing is absolutely wrong, no justification for it, absolutely no way to twist this to even make it look right, stop doing what you're doing, or you will be removed from all of your positions in the church. How many of you guys would be comfortable having that conversation? that's what a rebuke is. A rebuke is using the authority that God gives us to hold the line on doctrine. And in any case, in any scenario, if the line is not held, what happens? Then the church becomes identical to the world. You could literally tell no difference. Before you know it, the very thing that this passage of Scripture talks about, if we get to it, fulfills itself. The church begins to fill up with people who seek after a teacher who will teach after their own desires. Entire denominations. Calling pastors who live the homosexual lifestyle as long as their homosexual relationship is monogamous. Yes. Institutions that call themselves a church are literally doing that in the country that we live in right now. I've stood here and told people, sat here and told people, if you're living together, sleeping in the same bed, not married, I can't let you become a member of the church. Surprise you? Can't do it. Why? You know why the Jefferson County Courthouse stopped letting anybody do anything on its front steps? Years ago, they opened that door. They allowed a preacher to stand on the front steps and speak to the community. Very short time after that, the county got a request from the KKK. Guess what the county had to do? Had to let them have it. Because when you open that door for one group of people, you can't close it for anybody. If we say as a church that we stand on a biblical standard, that we hold that line as the scriptures read it, we have to hold the line. Otherwise, unrepentant homosexuals become members what kind of things do you suppose they want to support alcoholics pedophiles adulterers thieves they come forward and say I want to join your church and we broke the doctrinal standard anywhere along the way we can't tell them no. Oh, Southern Baptists are so mean. Won't let somebody join their church if they are in a known, active, open, unrepentant sin. Why do you suppose all the members are allowed to vote in business meetings? It protects us, folks. It protects us from what is trying to destroy us, whether you want to admit it or not. It protects us from what is actively trying to destroy us. And I can promise you that the motivation is not a person. We can't hold any of the stuff that's going on in the world and now against people. The Bible tells us specifically that it's powers and principalities. The prince who's been allowed for some time to operate on this earth. And it's the devil. And if you think the devil wants the doors of this church open, then you don't know the devil very well. If you think the devil wants people out there actively promoting the gift that God gave them for the purpose of bringing salvation to the lost and discipleship to those who know him, you don't know the devil very well. Ravi Zacharias. Never held him on a pedestal, but I respected the man. You may have heard his name. You may have heard him preach on the radio. Pretty good sized ministry. Just came out this week that he's been involved in a huge sex scandal. Does that help the church? I feel for him. He's a man who was tempted, couldn't fight the temptation, and he fell, and he fell hard. And in my lifetime, and probably in yours too, how many people have Satan taken out of the game? You think he's not after you too? You think he's not after this church? Do you want to rebuke Satan? You rebuke him by being the individual's that Paul's telling Timothy to be. Preach the truth. Argue. Be someone who knows what it is that we believe and why we believe it. Be ready to stand, even though the ground is uneven. Exhort. To build up. God's intention is not to destroy people. His intention is to restore people. And again, if we're motivated and driven by love, that's exactly what our intentions are. It's what they should be. You say it's mean for me to tell people I'm not saying you do, but somebody may say it's mean for me to tell people who are living together sleeping in the same bed to not be a member of the church. It Doesn't stop there. You know what I tell them? I'll do your wedding ceremony for free. It'll cost you 60 bucks for a license. You go, get, you go get yourself a marriage license, you come down here, bring two people with you that can sign that license, and I will stand here and do a wedding ceremony. What's the excuse to not do it? We don't want to be people who just make people wrong. We want to be people who help people be right. Right? So we preach homosexuality as being a sin. But we also preach that the same sins that plagued us were no more penalized than the sin of homosexuality. And just like I found forgiveness for mine, they can find forgiveness for theirs. We're not just pointing out problems, we're pointing out solutions as well. Matter of fact, the whole point is supposed to be the solution which is why it also takes great patience and instruction. You've heard me say this before, great patience. How many of you guys have wondered about some people in your life, whether they were ever really going to get it? It's like, how long is it going to take for you to get it? How long should we wait? long as it takes yeah, the Lord turned some people over, and yeah, he gives us the ability to turn them over, but I can tell you in 30 years <clears throat> thirty years of ministry that the number of people that he's allowed me to walk away from are very, very far and few between. An instruction. You've heard me say the instruction this way. How many of you guys have barked out a command to your kid? They say, why? And you say, because I told you to. I did it too. The fact is, we shouldn't do it that way. We should instruct them. If they say why, we explain to them why. I'll close shortly, I promise. Verse 3 For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. He's sober in all things. Isn't that hard to figure out? Don't think that God just gives us a bunch of rules to follow because he's trying to lord himself over us. He doesn't want us to steal because it hurts people. He doesn't want us to lie because it hurts people. He doesn't want us to commit adultery with people's wives because it hurts people. He doesn't want us to do the things that are the Ten Commandments because it hurts people. He doesn't want us to be a backpipe biter. It hurts people. He doesn't want us to be a gossip. It hurts people. He doesn't want us to do things that hurt people. And as uncomfortable as it is, whatever hardship that it may be, that it may bring, being faithful, that hardship is worth it, and we should be individuals who endure it. That means we don't quit because we find challenges. We don't fit, quit because we find struggles. Fulfill your ministry. All he's telling Paul, all all Paul's telling Timothy there is be who it is that God called you to be. Accomplish what it is that God called you to accomplish. Is it going to be easy? No, it's not going to be easy. Is it going to come with struggles? Absolutely it's going to come with struggles. Don't quit. Fulfill it. People are going to walk into heaven one of two ways. They're either going to walk into heaven with their chin to their chest, ashamed, ashamed, in, in able to look God in the eyes because they walked earth knowing that God gave them a job to do and they never stepped up and did it. There are going to be other people who are going to slide into heaven with both feet, stand straight up, look God in the eyes, and God's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your day of rest. Fulfill your ministry. He used himself. Used himself as an example. Look at seven. I fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I finished the race. Paul wasn't asking Timothy to do anything that he hadn't tried to do his entire life himself. And I can promise you that if Highland Baptist Church is going to survive another hundred years, if the Lord tarries, it's not going to be whether, whether this preacher preaches a good message or not. I understand my responsibility. But folks, we need teachers who teach. We need encouragers who encourage. We need givers who give. We need evangelists to evangelize. Because if people do not employ their gifts, this church will not survive. It will get swallowed up in the fallen nature of this world that continues to grow more gross. Jesus wants the lost to be saved. He wants those who know him to know him more. The only way this happens is for us to have a desire to be obedient and faithful. You say, we're worshiping while we're in this church singing? We're worshiping with everything that we do. And we don't worship with everything we don't. Never feel the pressure to do something that God's not calling you to do. But I pray for pressure. For not doing something that God's called you to do. Because what he's called all of us to do is to change the world. for him. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, prayer requests, or just want to say hello, you can reach us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. We hope that this message was encouraging to all of our listeners. Have a blessed week.